This is the EWN Radio Network. Welcome to On the Record with your host, Ashram Lux Lucis. Another episode of On the Record. I am your host, Astrum Lucis, and today we have in the house Brandy Amstel. And Brandy is an absolutely amazing woman. I met her over the summer. She is an award-winning film producer and director. She's founder of LivingPowerfully.com and creator of the Breakfast with Brandy program. She was named Austin's Fearless Woman of the Year and is featured in the bestseller. Fearless Women, Visions of a New World, a powerful book that features 50 women visionaries from all over the globe who are making a huge difference for people throughout our world. Brandy has appeared on 2020 and is being featured in an upcoming documentary for CNN, as well as the upcoming documentary, Vital, Vibrant, and Alive. A master on living powerfully in all areas of life with over 20 years experience inspiring people around the world. Brandy supports you through her online programs, video blog, films, live events, and retreats. And she's also an amazing sculptor and doing so many things that it's just, I don't even know how she can do it all and and stay sane and be a master of inspiring, living powerfully among people. So without further ado, let's welcome Brandy Amstel. Hello. Thank you for having me on the show. What a what a, a delight! I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Indeed, yes, yes. So, give us your current thirty second elevator pitch if you have one. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, you know, I think that elevator pitches are so staged, and so you know, for <laughs> me, I always try to come from the heart and where I am in that moment, and really. What I do is I help people to live powerfully in all areas of life and really be fulfilled in life. And I do that a lot of different ways. Um, In the moment when I'm having conversations with people, I look to, you know, empower and transform them and awaken them to something that they had not considered before. And, you know, sometimes I, I do that through films and sometimes I do that through a conversation. So, um, I I guess the best 30-second pitch is that, you know, I'm here to really help people to be the best versions of themselves. Awesome. Great. Right? And it's it's great that so many people nowadays are kind of stepping into that vision of, you know, let's let's co-create this this world of peace, love, and joy, and abundance, and cooperation. So um, hats off to you for being another... Uh, visionary of the future, bringing it here and now. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about how you got into the world of film. Was that something you always wanted to do? Were you that, you know, little girl with the dream, mommy, when I grow up, I want to be a film producer. I mean, how did you get involved with that? Which is so interesting. Um, It wasn't until recently that my mom actually shared that with me. Um, I don't really have recollection of it, but she did. She said that I told her, and we had these little books that we would fill out. Each year you would say what it is that you wanted to be when you grew up. And so in my book I wrote that I wanted to be a film director. I don't even know how I knew what that meant back then. But anyway, I did have that aspiration. And um, it kind of got lost along the way just because of, you know, how school and, and just everything starts to, to go by, right? And, and um, I was always creative, and I knew I wanted to create experiences for people. And so then that showed up a lot of different ways. And um, it wasn't until after college and after doing the corporate <laughs> stint and that, that I actually decided that it was time for me to step into being a filmmaker. When I went to college, I went um, 
Bachelor of Fine Arts, you know, so looking at that whole piece. And at the time, it was very expensive to um, do anything film-related. I wanted to. I had this desire, but it really was just outside of what I could afford. (laughs) And um, we were still working in film. Computers had barely come out. I guess I'm dating myself here a little bit. But, um, you know, it it, um, just wasn't feasible for me going through college at that point to get to be a filmmaker. And later in life, it was uh, here in Austin is where I live. And um, they had a community, I don't know what you call it, like a competition, I guess. It was make a film in a weekend. And so it was more like a cool thing that my husband and I wanted to do. And so we signed up for it. And, you know, they give you your stuff on Friday evening and tell you go make a film come back on Sunday has to have has to have these criteria in it and then they take it they edit it together and then they screen it the next weekend and so we did that and it was so much fun and it was a it was like an old digital camera you had to edit within the camera because it was actually on film there was Mm. no sound you had to add music completely separate. And so when you show up that day in the theater with a whole bunch of people, you're going to be seeing your film for the first time, just like them. And for us, it was like so amazing that the people sitting there actually laughed when we wanted them to laugh. They were scared when they were supposed to be. And so it was like, whoa, we have this impact on a um, audience. That's amazing. So from there, we we started looking at, well, my goodness, why can't we make films? And um, then, by, at that point, digital cameras were out, and things started to be much more available to the consumer. And so we were friends with a whole bunch of musicians, and you know, we live in Austin, the music capital of the world. Of course, you go and hear live music, you're friends with musicians, and what I found was they would love to come and be in little short films with us. And in return, we would shoot music videos for them. And so it just started to be like this really fun thing to do and started building, I guess, I mean, just like the ability to put things together and getting better and better at it. Huh. So now, that's kind of how I got started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's go back a little bit to college because you said you got a fine arts degree. So when yeah. you decided to go to college, what were you thinking at that time that you were going to do? Were you thinking that you were going to be a sculptor and that was going to be your your career path? I mean, what were you thinking, you know, going into college? Yeah, I knew that I loved creating art. And so it was I was a I got an emphasis in painting. And um, then it was sculpture and ceramics was the um, second part of that. And my parents were, like, mortified that that's <laughs> what I would choose to do. I'm the first person that, that's gotten to go to college, and it's, like, a huge honor and privilege for our family. And it was a real big stretch for them. And, and then I go there, and I want to be an artist. <laughs> it didn't make sense for them. And so we had multiple... Um, spirited conversation about what it is that I was going to do to make money in the world, and um, I agreed to, to that I would at least get a teaching certificate so that I could fall back on a teaching degree. I had no no intention ever of being a school teacher, but I did. Um, I am certified to teach uh, six through twelve, so secondary grade teacher and mostly an art teacher. Wow. It's nice that you can, you know, you have that background to fall back on. Um, and you said you never thought of being a school teacher. So how was it working with kids? Because I know like 6 through six through 12, that's kind of, you know, that's the age when, when children sort of become hellions if, they, if they're going to be, you know. <laughs> It was a great experience. You know, it's so funny how when you're fresh out of college or you're still in college. I went kind of early, too. I was all in college early. So, therefore, I'm like 20, and I'm a teacher of all these kids. I did the seventh grade. 
was uh, where I did my um, student teaching. And they thought I was the coolest teacher on the planet. And that's because <laughs> it wasn't that big of an age difference between us. You know, yeah. um, it, it was it it wasn't like I was in my you know 40s or 50s, which was a lot of my teachers were older, and so it was very different experience. And so I just let them be the kids that they are. It, it, I had a lot of patience because I'm like, okay, yeah, that's what I would do. Um, and so, <laughs> and and it really allowed a lot of freedom for them to, um, you know, get to be more expressive, I guess. And um, it was it was a great experience. I loved it. Um, it, it was eye-opening for me because I, I grew up in a, a place that wasn't quite as large as where I did my student teaching. And so, therefore, the classes were much bigger and they had a lot more, um, I guess, things going on. There were several of the girls in the seventh grade that were pregnant. And, and oh, wow. Like, wow, I don't remember. I don't remember this happening to me and when I was in school. Like, I don't remember yeah. that being a, a thing that we talked about or that we were concerned about. And so it just was a really eye-opening as far as, you know, where where kids were and how, you know, we evolve as humans through this journey. And, man, it was just very different. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, were you watching films at this time like as a you know kind of in that back of the mind I'm going to be one day be a film director and so were you into watching a lot of films and sort of looking at them from that perspective during this time period I wasn't at all I was just immersed in being a human you know I didn't even have the the consciousness to go oh my god I love movies because someday I'm going to be a a director or a producer uh, I didn't have that um, it was more like I enjoy them I think they're awesome and I'm just this little being out in the world wanting to express myself and then what are the tools and the avenues for me to be able to express myself and and so it's I wish I had some really amazing answer to tell you <laughs> <laughs> that yes, you know what I studied Hitchcock and I studied this director and and it just wasn't that way now I will say later in life but um after I met my husband you know we were really both into films and we loved you know action and um horror and um I don't know just very contemporary films and so um it was, that was the pastime that we had was watching the films, but not with the intention that oh someday we're going to make this film. Um, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, as you did that weekend and made your first film, um, had you had any experience with film or anything before that, even on just like a oh, we've got a camcorder and I'm making videos on my camcorder thing? Or were you just like, oh, this looks interesting. Let's try this. And it was just totally <laughs> off the cuff. It was totally off the cuff. It was more like a, hey, what do you want to do this weekend? Well, there's this cool thing. Don't you want to do this? And I'm like, ah, sure. And it was Super 8. So they actually gave you this little old crusty Super 8 camera. I had no idea how to run it. They had to teach us how to, you know, hit go and, you know, all that stuff, and it was supposed to be edited within the camera, so in sequence. So there was, it really simplified it. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, so that was our first interaction all together. I mean, this is before cell phones. This is before, like, anything cool that we have available now. So regular camera. How did you go about putting together your, your concept? Like you said, they gave you, they gave you, I guess, like an idea or something. Yeah. So <laughs> ours was a gangster film. <laughs> oh wow. So it was, yeah, it was a, it was a three minute gangster film, and um, it was all about the. Of course, it was along the times, I guess, when Pulp Fiction was around. So we did it about this uh, case that had some mysterious something in it, and somebody was trying to get it. And so it, I mean, it was silly, it was fun, and it just was telling a story like 
so many of the films that we did watch as a spectator, how how it was, how we experienced it. Yeah. And so and so they taught you how to use the camera. Um, what about as far as, like, did you have, like, actors in this? And, and where did you find them? And how did you go about putting all that together? Well, we... Um, and so the way that this particular program was run was that on Friday you would meet with the group as, as everybody, all the participants and the people that organized it would give you your camera and they gave you a line of dialogue and a prop that you had to use in it. And then you were left op- up. It was left up to you to create your story and you utilize those two items within your script. Since there was no audio, it was only action. So you had to be able to tell your story with just with the things that people were seeing. And um, so essentially we did nothing Friday evening. We did nothing Saturday because we were in our life. We were like, hey, let's, let's go hear a show tonight. And so we wake up. Sunday morning, and um, we're having our coffee, and we're sitting out looking. We live on the, in a beautiful home that overlooks Lake Travis, and so we're looking out over the backyard, and we're like, well, are we going to do this thing? And um, <laughs> my husband's like, I, do you want to? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So essentially, we had about six hours to wow. create the film you know, shoot it, find people to be in it. So then we're on the the phone really quickly calling people who's available, who wants to be in it. Hey, we're going to be at your house in a few minutes. And so it was super wild and super crazy. And, and there was no um, pressure because it was just something we were doing for fun. There was yeah. no weight and whether it was going to be awesome. They were all going to be horrible. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> that turned them in was going to be bad. So it didn't matter. And so... Um, it was just tons of freedom, and, and it was fun. So I think we actually, we called several people, but we actually got um, Steve's brother-in-law to be a part of it, and um, his friend, they were remodeling their house, and so we ended up stopping by and, you know, getting them to hold the camera while we drove our car by, and you know, it was just, <laughs> it was really fun. But it it, it was um and we probably would have just chalked it up to, you know what, that was a fun weekend. That was a cool thing to do. Except that the next weekend when we went to go and sit in the theater and see it, and we added um, Rage Against the Machine, Pistol Grip Pump, because that was the name of the film. We decided nice. to play Pistol Grip Pump. Yeah. Nice. And so as we're sitting there and, like, just laughing at our film for ourselves because we're like, oh, my gosh, remember when we <laughs> shot that part? Oh, my gosh. Um, and then we um, hear people's responses and get to see them like laughing at certain parts or like shrieking or being concerned or something for the people in another part. We're like, wow, this is pretty cool that we have that much power as a filmmaker to get a reaction out of people. And so it was from there that we decided to, um, you know, pursue it a little bit further. And we did a whole bunch of short films and just kept building our craft and, um, a lot of the musicians that we were friends with were our actors and a lot of the, you know, the stories that we created were just what was happening with us in our own lives at that time. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm looking for a certain kind of woman and I think you know her. She's an entrepreneur that is highly connected, successful, significant in her own industry and considered the go-to woman in her community. She's received so much from so many women in business, she's ready to give back to others on their journey, lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey, and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of or know someone we should talk with, 
send an email to managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. That's managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. And let's start the conversation. Hi, this is Ashton Luxlusis, host of On the Record on the EWN Radio Network. We're aligning with North America's number one resource for connecting and promoting women in business, positively influence your business profile and success? Does the idea of positioning your product or service as champion of an exceptional international online platform tailored to women in business sound lucrative? Do you want collaborations with high caliber, like-minded, like-hearted women in business? On the Record sponsorship opportunities will provide you with just that and more. Over half a million women business owners and corporate professionals connected, 1,500-plus women's business events yearly, and the largest four-day international conference produced annually. Over a quarter million monthly listeners are eager to learn about your business. Call Tammy Markham at 512-914-3952. That's 512-914-3952 to secure your sponsorship spots today. And we're back on the record. Did you go get some schooling or training? Um, and, and what did that look like? At that point, I mean, video cameras were fairly um, affordable. You know, we ended up getting a... Um, a $3,000 camera, and you could get an Apple computer with Final Cut Pro on it for, you know, like another, you know, five grand. And hmm. so it was it was affordable. It was something that we could actually take on. And um, we ended up making a bunch of films, but there was a guy – that was putting on a program and he was, his name was, uh, oh my gosh, Steve Mim. And so he offered a 12 week program where he would take you through the whole process of um, concept to the screen. And so um, you would be in the program with several other people and you'd team up and they would be your crew and you'd be their crew and that kind of stuff. And so, I did take that program, and so did my husband, just so we had some of the the basics. Um, but more importantly, I think it was more about the actual doing. We um, took a look at it, and essentially, you can spend a hundred thousand dollars or more on going to film school, or mm. you spend a hundred thousand dollars on getting some experience and making films. And so we just went straight into making films and um, used the money that way and got it from experience. And each one of our films got better and better. Did you have mentors at that point that you started looking to for, you know, to guide you along this path and um, when, you know, things would come up that you didn't know how to deal with, that you could go to them and say, hey, you know, this came up, what do I do here? Yeah, I think in that program, uh, it was called Production One. <laughs> you you met several other people that were aspiring filmmakers. And so we all used each other. And then, of course, we used the Internet <laughs> to figure out how to, how to do different things. There's so many different resources available to filmmakers online that um, most of it went through there. There wasn't anybody, I would say, necessarily that was a – a mentor. Um, I did join an organization that that supported filmmakers and met more and more of them. So I would say it's more of a peer thing, um, mm-hmm. and, and then just trying to figure it out together. Okay. Mostly, I was an avid student to figuring it out, and it was experience on the court. I just have to spend a few hours and figure this out. <laughs> And that, mm. that's how Final Cut Pro is. I, I did take a Final yeah. Cut Pro editing course, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, still they teach you so many of those different shortcuts and strokes and stuff, and it's like the the real learning comes with actually doing it and just putting in the time and figuring it out. Because And, and still, even if you don't use it regularly, it doesn't even matter if you learned it in that course, you still won't know it when you do need it. <laughs> and you mm-hmm. have to go back and learn it again. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's 
it's really about being committed, being diligent, having an eye for the way it it should look and being true to what your vision is, you know? Mm-hmm. So speaking of vision, what was your vision or is it still the same? How has it evolved over time? Yeah. Um, my vision, huh? You know, we've, we've done films together, uh, my husband and I, which is great. We write a lot of the stuff together. Um, he DPs sometimes, and sometimes um, he would produce. But we, we've done a lot of the films together, and um, we've always chose subject matter that was something that we were passionate about or inspired by. And... Um, at one point, um, I, I had other, I had some other company that I was running, and at one point, I, I just, it was in a professional development program. I declared myself as a filmmaker, and that that was what I was going to do full time. And um, from there, I started my production company, and then I had to end up taking on other jobs to to support that and to grow that. And so I did a lot of the corporate work. I did a lot of music video work and producing uh, live music DVDs. And, um, yeah, I had a certain point. Um, it was fun shooting the music stuff, and it was fun shooting because that was a lot of the creativity between you and that musician, and you were creating this new um, piece. And it was it was pretty amazing. But a lot of the corporate video stuff was them directing what it is that they wanted for their trade show or what they needed for this presentation or that kind of stuff. And it was less than satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> and um yeah, it just it didn't feel it it didn't feel like expressing myself. It was more like I was somebody to to do a task that they couldn't do themselves. And that didn't really, that wasn't in line with my vision at all. My vision was being able to create pieces that um, were awesome, <laughs> that were inspiring, <laughs> that were, you know, shocking, you know, whatever. Uh, I, so I've done all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I've done horror films all the way up to uh, Native American period pieces to comedy to documentaries. And, you know, I have written screenplays for dramas and there's just so much that I want to do, but each one of them is something that I'm passionate about. And I don't think that that's really changed. Just the approach has kind of changed because at a certain point I was doing the production company and then I decided I want to do my own stuff. And then stepping back and kind of looking at where I'm at in my life right now and where I'm at in my own personal journey, it kind of made sense for me to start living powerfully. And um, that way it was more about me expressing the things from my personal life that can make a bigger impact in the world and using my film skills to broadcast that out in a bigger way. I saw through, you know, winning awards and, you know, just different strategies and such how powerful film was to um, communicate an idea um, on a very large scale and make a big impact very quickly. Which one of your films do you feel was the one that's really made the biggest impact for you personally as far as advancing your career? You know, that's kind of a hard one because I'm so attached to all of them. <laughs> like, uh, but like, and, 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 I mean, some people would say, well, obviously the first one that you won an award with must have been the one that really changed it for you because, you know, the, anyway, but so I, and I did love it. And that one was uh, Snake Pit, which was a um, 10 minute horror film, very short, awesome, so much fun. And um, I mean, even to this day, it's still screened. Like somebody will call me up and be like, Hey, can we screen this at the, you know, such and such film festival in Italy? And I'm like, sure. If they want to see it. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. 
And then, yeah, it's like, okay, it's not in Italian, but okay. <laughs> um, and and so, obviously, that, that definitely propelled me forward and, and showed me that, yes, we should we should do more. But um, the, the next film that I did was when I ventured into the documentary side is because I started to explore this whole idea of um, – um, was it self-distribution, right? Or how, how am I? How am I going to get my film distributed? I'm not a studio in LA, um, and I'm not backed by anyone. So how do I get my stuff out there? And so it was that journey of really trying to figure out how to get more people to see my stuff. And um, I got really passionate personally about um, water and the impacts of bottled water on the environment, global communities, and your health. And I ended up doing a little documentary piece um, that was somewhat promotional um, and screened it for 1,100 people at a, at a um, conference. And um, I took 250 copies of the DVD. Just, you know, I felt like, a, like I'm a bootlegger. You know, I just got my <laughs> box of, of discs. <laughs> and I went there and I screened the film and talked to them about why I was so passionate about it, what I had found and, in the film, and how I wanted to use the film to make a bigger impact for providing clean water to people that didn't have it. And as I'm walking off the stage, and I told them all to meet me in the back, um, this huge horde of people follow me back and through the doors and started like crowding around me and it was like this really intense moment <laughs> and finally a bouncer I came up and kind of started pushing everybody back but I mean if I had had you know five times that much I could have definitely sold those DVDs that day and so that was a huge moment for me to see that, okay, if I do something I'm super passionate about and do a good job of it and then find the niche, find people that will see the value in it, then I don't have to go through the traditional routes of distribution. I can still, I mean, I sold over 7,500 copies of that little film. And it's like a 25-minute short documentary that was never meant to be a full-blown go-to-theater um, film. But now it is all over the world, and it's screened in, you know, colleges and, and um, I mean, conferences. It, it's crazy the legs that such a piece could have and the impact. So that had another really big impact on me. But And then I took that to the next level doing a short documentary of a um, women's empowerment film about a woman that lives not too far from me who found herself homeless after her relationship turned abusive. And um, now she's rebuilt her life and she's using, uh, through using the various programs available here in Austin for, for homeless women. And now she's giving back to those organizations. And that was a really powerful piece because I partnered with the community and the nonprofit organizations here in town and told a woman's empowerment story, very different than doing a, a piece for a nonprofit about their organization. It was mm -hmm. more about a, a woman's issue. And um, then we created a, a way to license that so that other nonprofit organizations could screen the film and use it to raise funds for their organization at the um, at the premiere that we did here in Austin, in with one of the nonprofits, they were able to raise just shy of seventy five thousand dollars, and they had never done a fundraiser before. Wow! So it was, yeah, it was incredible. And so seeing that model, and, and you know, we what they would do is another organization would license the film, and then they would have me as the filmmaker and the star of the film come in and then they would do a panel discussion with people from their community and then raise funds for their cause. And it was super successful. And um, so that kind of gave me this whole other like success or hope um, or idea for how it is that I want to continue moving forward. And so 
the film that I'm currently working on, Vital, Vibrant, and Alive, I definitely plan on using that same model of, of licensing the film and then also having it edited in such a way that it could be shown in the in the shorter format. So mm-hmm. looking at a twenty to you know twenty to twenty five minute film really allows for people to take the the foot or take that piece and then couple it with a panel discussion and then all of a sudden the film is having an even bigger impact because it's actually creating change within that community. And so um I mean that's that's exciting to me as a filmmaker to see my work making a difference and um, really doing it in a big way. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the model of licensing films. Um, How do you go about, like, where do you even start with that? What does that look like? (laughs) Uh, I I don't know. (laughs) Um, I've created what I did, but is there another way? Probably. I mean, is there a real way? Probably. Um, I I ended up doing it just because um, the the nonprofit organization that we partnered with for In Her Shoes was um, their global organization. And so they took the film back and showed it at their global conference and then made it available to all of them to license. So they have, you know, I don't know, 136, it's probably more at this point, but 136 affiliates. And so it was a quick and easy way to get that licensing model to work. I don't know if that's necessarily duplicatable for just anybody if they wanted to take that and use it as a model. But it definitely is if you can find the right partnership and, like, finding what is the good fit for your film. Um, so moving forward with licensing, I mean, it's it's the way I'm doing it with um, Vital, Vibrant, Alive is, you know, connecting with organizations or women's groups that are looking on how they can be the best version of themselves. You know, how are they wanting more out of their, their employees? How are they wanting to produce more within their organization? Um, so it's about building those relationships and then um, the bigger ones that have more branches definitely is going to provide more opportunities because each one of those events, you know, it wasn't just Dress for Success, which was a nonprofit um, that we used in Dress for Success, it, I mean, in, in, in her shoes. Um, it wasn't just that organization that we've licensed it to. We've licensed it to Goodwills. We've licensed it to, you know, uh, I don't even know all the organization's names, but um, some that were about abusive, uh, abuse with children, some with abuse with, you know, mothers. I mean, like there's just so many different types of organizations. There was an arts group that licensed it. But those were people that saw it at the other one. And once they saw it, they're like, ooh, I have an idea. I want to license this for my cause. So um, I think initially you have to probably create a strategy for how you're going to get the initial people to see it. So then the more people that see it, the more people that want to license it. Mm-hmm. What what does the license look like though? You're just granting them the use to show the film, or can they make copies and sell it for fundraisers? I mean, what does that model look no. like? Yeah, so um, definitely that's a great question. Yeah, so what we ended up doing with um, in her shoes was we created a um, licensing agreement that w- there was two different ways. One was for a nonprofit, if they wanted to just show it to a group of people um, for the sake of raising awareness, and they were nonprofit, then it was um, a certain fee. And they couldn't, um, it, there was only one copy, they weren't allowed to copy it, and they weren't, weren't able to sell copies unless they wanted to buy them from Dress for Success. So that's just how they created it. And then they had another one, which was, oh, I'm going to do a full-blown fundraiser. My intention is to show the film and then use it to inspire people to to raise the funds. And that, that they only got one copy, and um, that was for $300. And um, that's how they did it. Um <clears throat> 
so the way that they were raising their funds was not through sales of the DVD. It was really about um, what the organization could create around the event and the excitement. So like here in Austin for the premiere, we did a uh, red carpet premiere of In Her Shoes. And with that, they did a silent auction. They, you know, we had the whole red carpet thing. So people had to pay a lot for their seats and um, they had a lot of food and stuff donated. So it made sense. And then they also had like the, the auction where people are raising their paddles, Andy and up X amount of money for this cause. And so the money is really generous or the, the fundraising is around all the other stuff that's, created a, about the event that the film is. <laughs> that makes sense. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is, you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support, wisdom, and new customers. eWomen Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs, have been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the contacts, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners, such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the eWomen Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details, visit eWomenNetwork.com. And we're back on the record. So where are you at with your Vital, Vibrant, and Alive film? What, what stage is that in right now? Yeah, so we did an initial um, crowdfunding campaign to raise some funds to get us started. And I've shot the first five interviews and um, have a few pieces that I can you know, show people just to have them get an idea more about what the film is about. And... Um, we need to raise more funds. And so at this point, I'm, you know, looking for a fiscal sponsor, one. And for two, then I'm also looking for corporate sponsors, people that want to have their name attached with, um, you know, the whole tour of the, the film. I mean, we're planning on doing red carpet premieres in each of the cities where I have experts speaking. And, um, so then, and then I'm also planning on doing another crowdfunding campaign to help us get the rest of the the funds to to complete the film. What crowdfunding platform are you using? <laughs> um, well, I'm actually not using any of them, so I have oh, to okay. clarify some. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so I I did um, Kickstarter initially. And I didn't raise the funds that I needed. (laughs) So um, it was an experiment in trying to figure out what is this whole crowdfunding thing and how do I do it and does it make sense and, you know, how how do the people, how do the A players do it? (laughs) How successful have they been and how did they make it happen? And so I just immersed myself in trying to figure that out some and I talked to tons of people and essentially – I didn't do what it took to make my campaign successful. But what I had was a whole bunch of people that were excited about my project. Mm. And so what I did, it never really made total sense to me. And there's probably tons of people that will be opposed to what I say. But, um, you know, it never made sense to me why I would be um, a part of a crowdfunding platform like that whenever I'm the one that's supposed to drive all the traffic to it. And they're going to take a certain percentage for mm. their the privilege of using their platform. And I'm like, <laughs> but I've already I've, I've already spent money on my own website and my own, 
you know, credit card services and, and all of this stuff. And like, it just doesn't make sense to me why I'm willing to give them so much money. And mm-hmm. so what I, what I ended up doing was um, going into my own um, website and creating the exact packages that I had created and offered people through the crowdfunding um, platform and created that within my own shopping cart. And then I went back to all of those people, all of my friends <laughs> that gave or that, that pledged, and um, asked them to go ahead and honor their pledge and make the payment through my credit card service. And um, they did that. Well, most of them did. There's very few that didn't. But wow. um, so, I mean, that's, that was kind of my experience with crowdfunding. And I just really feel like if I'm the one that's driving the traffic and having to do it, wouldn't I rather drive them to my own site? Right. And that way they can keep, yeah. And that way they could keep up with the film and what's going on with it and what's going on with me. And maybe they would follow my blog and, you know, like there's, there seems to be more opportunities and, and it just seems to make more sense. Now I don't know if that's the right deal for everybody out there, but I know for myself it is. And so moving forward with a, a crowdfunding (laughs) you know, idea, concept that I'm going to go out to raise funds from people that want, that are resonating with the cause. I'm going to drive them to my site and, um, and definitely create videos and stuff that all live on my site um, to do that. Yeah, that, that is brilliant. That's so brilliant. Like I remember when I was trying to fund, um, this radio show, actually, I looked at several different um, crowdfunding platforms and, you know, it, it's all the same. It's like you've got to drive the traffic there and pretty much you're doing everything yourself on the back end, but then you've got to turn over a cut to them. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, aren't why aren't you doing any support? And the only time they do support you is all, if all of a sudden you blow up and it's like, well, I don't need the support now. I've blown up. You know? <laughs> right. I need the support when I'm starting, not after I've made it. You know. <laughs> so and I yeah. Think initially, I, I think initially the 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 draw or the the intrigue or the excitement about it is the fact that oh my God, I'm going to put my stuff, my project on this board in hopes that some random person that I've never met before is going to finally know me. And and when I started looking to the statistics of like really how many, how often does that happen? How many people actually fund projects that they weren't a part of that they didn't know about? Nobody's out there surfing going, hmm, I think I want to fund something today. Let me find something on this crowdfunding platform. Nobody's doing that. Um, I mean, occasionally maybe. I won't say never. But, um, you know, it does doesn't. It doesn't justify it for myself, and and I probably and, and you know what? There is so much going on in the crowdfunding, um, you know, world that there probably are other platforms out there that are more um, in alignment with it. So I, I won't say that all crowdfunding is not for me. It's just like right now I haven't found one that's better than what I can currently do myself. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm open to, to something coming up for me and somebody saying, oh, you know what, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to work hard to bring people to this site. And I'm like, wow, okay, cool, I'll, I'll totally pay you to do that. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the model they should be pitching for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it yeah. may be out there. I, I just I don't know about it yet. So um, there you go. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about getting corporate sponsors and going after sponsors and stuff. Um, what does that look like for you? Yeah, um, I've put together a corporate sponsorship packet so that um, I can actually go out and approach different corporate sponsors. It's, it's a huge opportunity for different um, corporations that want their brand to be associated with this cause, with the cause of you know people being the best versions of themselves and actually you know having more to offer the their teammates to offer the world. And so I'm really looking to to partner with um corporations that already have initiatives in place for um 
you know, like, like a woman's initiative or a sustainability initiative. And so are do you, are you pitching them a specific demographic as well that you're, you're, you're going to be in, being able to connect them with? Yeah, absolutely. And um, mostly it's, it's, it's women, but it's right now we see so much about how women are 85% of the purchasing power. So when, Corporate, the corporations are wanting to align themselves as being concerned about women's issues or about empowering women. Like it's a good fit to, to put their brain, their brand, and their name in front of you know all the audiences across the U.S. where we're going to be screening the film as being somebody that brought this to life or brought the film to the audiences. Hmm. And what kind of packages are you offering as far as, you know, if I give you X amount of dollars, what are you going to give us kind of thing? If you don't mind sharing. I mean, sometimes that's proprietary stuff, but. um, Yeah, I was like, I don't actually have it in front of me, and I would really hate to (laughs) to missay something. So yeah, um, I I would be happy to share that with you later. uh, Yeah. But off essentially, the I work. Yeah, off the record. Um, but I, essentially, I work with um, uh, Linda Hollander, and she okay. is an expert on on writing corporate um, sponsorship packets. And so she helped me to develop um, different packages that made sense for for what it is that I'm doing. And then, you know, I also had the, the experience of when we were doing the um, screening for one of my films we had corporate sponsors and of course they wanted to put their name on the marquee to know that they were the ones that were bringing that film to town. And, you know, so there's, there's definitely some reference points that I've had for, for that. That's something that a corporation would really get value from. Mm-hmm. They love being, getting seats um, at the event. They love being recognized from the stage. They love having their logo put on the credits of the film they, and then seeing it scroll by. They love being mm-hmm. announced from the stage. Um, there's just so many opportunities that are available for a corporate sponsor um, when you're doing a film premiere. Yeah, nice. So it sounds like you have a, a super busy life. What are some <laughs> things that you do to keep balanced? Um, I, you mentioned it at the beginning. <laughs> or I'm do a, you not I'm have sculpture. balance? <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I do. I do. Cause it's all part of living powerfully for me. You yeah. know, it's the whole yeah. concept, right? Um, yeah. you know, I, you, you mentioned in the, in introducing me that I am a sculptor also. And, um, it's, a, a great outlet for me to be able to go back and, and sculpt and, um, put my hands in some clay um, or to do a painting. Like, so I do take time to, to um, nurture my creativity. And um, I also definitely take my weekends off and I spend them with my husband and my pugs. And we do lots of really cool things. Um, I have a full life, but I embrace it. But that's just me being alive. And, um, you know, we're we're both super passionate about um, cars and doing fun stuff like that. So we're uh, always out at events. I don't know. I mean, that's some people get crazy by that busy schedule, but it's kind of fun and awesome. <laughs> but then we also have our downtime too. You know, we do watch a lot of movies these days, and. Um, yeah, so we, we spend a lot of time together. And I think that's really where I get my balance. I do have a morning ritual every day that grounds me in me. Um, I meditate. I have vocal awareness practices that I do. I do visualization. Um, I, golly, there's a lot of... I, I, I have a whole like two hour morning ritual oh, wow. stuff that I do for me. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's my time and I may work late or I might, you know, whatever, but so this, that doesn't really move. Mm-hmm. And so um, declaring that it's my time and what it is that I 
you just my time to connect to me. Yeah. Is, yeah. is important. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what is vocal awareness practice? What is that? <laughs> yeah, so um for for whatever reason on my journey I have been super compelled to go figure out how to get my message out in the world. And one of the events that I went to was an inspiring speaker. And um, I met a man called uh, Arthur Joseph. And so he is, um, he's a a vocal coach. I guess that's probably not the best way to, to say it. But anyway, he's a vocal coach. And so what he does is he helps people to um, vibrate, uh, have their voice vibrate with their being, with their message. Pretty Mm. awesome, right? Yeah, and so a, a, a lot of it is um, a – I'm trying to remember what he calls it because he has a very specific term. <laughs> so if you ever interview him, he's going to be like, oh, you should chop that up. Um, but <laughs> um, it, it's essentially like a, a seven-step thing that you do every morning that – and they're just like exercises for your throat that have you um, resonate and be in vibration with yourself. And wow. a, a lot of it's about breathing. So breath is a large part of it. Um, yeah, they sound kind of crazy. This morning I was doing them, even though I'm a, a little under the weather, and uh, my little dog started howling because <laughs> I was howling. <laughs> and I just laughed. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, when my animals were around, um I used to do vocal exercises, and I'd get to this one, and they would both just start. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if you're singing with me or if I'm hurting your ears. Like, I don't know which it is, but it's funny as hell. <laughs> True. I'm not sure which it was for her either, but she was actually pretty proud of herself. So I don't know. I think she was like, hey, tip me on. I can do it too. <laughs> right? I can do better than you, Mom. <laughs> Well, Brandy, I have had an absolutely wonderful time speaking with you. We're nearing the end, and what I usually like to do at the end is ask our uh, our inspired guest here to share some words of wisdom with us and uh, let us know, you know, share some some things that can send us on our journey of living powerfully. Uh, well, what comes to mind right now is really to strive to be the best version of yourself because when you are working from the overflow of your cup, your cup is full and you're working from the overflow, then you have more to give the people that are around you in your in your life, in your business. And then the more that you can start to look out at the bigger world and, and, and the conversations that are out there, I really feel like that when we're able, we're, we're being the best versions of ourselves, living life to the fullest, then we can start to embrace being stewards of the planet and really being able to have more innovative conversations about how to solve some of the, the, the issues that we're up against as a society. And so I say that there's nothing better that you can do for yourself for others or for the planet than to take care of yourself first and and take time to you know nurture your body to nurture your intellect and to really grow and expand yourself as a human being so that you have more to offer Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of On the Record. Tune in next week. 